Greetings all. Here we are again about to study the word together for another Lord's Day worship with our people of Emmanuel. Um, We are this week at the end of Hebrews 6. Today we're considering uh, verses 13 through 20 of this great chapter Uh, and a great encouraging chapter it has been, well, at least since the first eight verses. Very sobering beginning to the chapter, <clears throat> and yet ending with great encouragements and great grace promised to us by our, our God and Redeemer. Um, just want to say hello to all of you again who are listening uh, virtually. <clears throat> we um, miss you all and, and love you dearly. And again, as I say every week, we I look forward to the day that we're all back together, uh, fellowshipping and worshiping um, as one, under one roof, eye to eye. Um, Know that we love you and we miss you, and this is altogether worth it to share with you a little before uh, the rest of us gather together uh, before the Lord. But this is uh, our worship, your worship now as we sit under the authority and ministry of the preached word. So before we begin, let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time again in in the scriptures. We thank you, Lord, for uh, its surety to us. Uh, Lord, the, the confidence and security the scriptures give us, that your word gives us for every day. We thank you, Lord, for um, the promises of the past, of the present, of the future, Lord, that uh, will be fulfilled. Your word is certain and infallible, and we thank you for that. Beyond that, Father, we thank you for the mercy and the condescension that you show to us by stooping to our weaknesses and giving us an oath, which is at the heart of our passage today. We thank you for that encouragement and that tender love that you show your people, your covenant people. Bless it to us now as we as we study together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay. Hebrews 6, verses 13 through 20. Again, hear the word of God. Our author continues here, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Amen. May God bless this reading to our hearts, minds, and lives. Amen. 
Now, in our last passage last week, uh, in verses 9 through 12, our author admonished us, as the word continues to admonish us, to be patient in our hope in Christ. Remember last week we talked about how our patience is not inactive, but a thoroughly active discipline, a redeemed active discipline. And to be patient in our hope in Christ, he uh, he admonished us to be assured of our saving relationship to Christ and imitate those <clears throat> who have gone ahead and inherited uh, God's promises to us, to the church. This passage today, verses 13 through 20, presents the foundation of that hope, faith, and inheritance, and it's beautiful. I, I think of of these verses at the end of Hebrews 6 as some of the most encouraging and securing uh, of of all the passages of the scriptures. It's, it really is a beautiful text. Uh, our, our, our message title today is Our Glorious Hope, and it is a glorious hope. It's a glorious confidence in what is to come, and we have a foretaste of it. We have a hand on it even now. So <clears throat> um, as we work through the text, we'll be talking about the, the reality of God's promises to us, his promises and words of truth to us in the scriptures, but God goes further in his redeeming relationship to us. He, he stoops to us and gives us something tangible, visceral, to, to prove that his promises will come true. Uh, he treats us as his children, as his beloved children who are at times weak in our faith, and he loves us that much. So in our glorious hope, we're going to see the foundation of it in the promise and promises of God, in the oath and oaths of God, and in the ultimate sacrifice of God. So let's look at them, um, the promise of God in verses 13, 14, and 15. A writer uh, presents to us, when, when God made a promise to Abraham or a covenant, promise here is a covenant is also a promise it's an agreement between two people in this case between a greater party and a subordinate party God is the greater party of the two he is our covenant making and covenant keeping God and in his covenants with us he makes his promises and in one of the first covenants of Old Testament history we'll get to some of those in the next point um he makes covenant promises to Abraham, kind of the father of the faith, father of Israel, um, out of uh, Shem down to, to Noah and, and through Shem down to Abraham. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so God, he's telling us that God made promises to Abraham. Since he had no one greater to, by whom to swear, he swore by himself. You know, when God's swearing an oath and a promise, he makes a promise and swears an oath on it, there's no one greater for him to swear the oath by because he's the greatest. He's God. He's the eternal, uh, sovereign, omnipotent God. So he swears by, him swe- by himself. And the swearing here is a swearing of an oath. And again, we'll get to that a little bit here in a, more in a minute. The, the, the important part here is the promises made. <clears throat> Covenants have been made, promises have been made, and promises will be kept. 
an example here in verse, is verse 14. He told Abraham on several occasions, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. Now you can go back and look at Genesis 12, 1 through 3. You can look at um, uh, Genesis 17 and the, the covenant of, uh, with Abraham. Uh, and the sign of that covenant, which is circumcision. <clears throat> and in Genesis 22... When um, God tells Abraham to take Isaac and sacrifice him in in the land of Moriah, the Mount of Moriah, he succeeds in trusting God with his son and obeying him. And there toward the end of that chapter, the angel of the Lord is reminding him of this great promise that he will be made into nations and God will make his descendants greater than the sands of the seashore. So that... That idea of blessing and multiplication <clears throat> can be found in those three texts, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, all of Genesis 17, and, and there at the end of Genesis 22. <clears throat> Surely I will bless you and multiply you. Now that's God's promise. It's his verbal promise to Abraham. I will bless and I will multiply you and your family. Blessing there is uh, where we get the uh, English word eulogy. Uh, eulogy, you owe to, uh, or well, and to speak, logos, to speak well of somebody. We think of eulogizing someone who's passed away at their funeral. But God will speak well to us. He will speak blessing to us and multiply us. Uh, that's his, his promise to Abraham here. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, remember that from last week, that patient endurance and remember that, that word for patient and being patient. This is the verb form. Last week it was the noun or the adjective, uh, be patient or show patience, the noun form. This is the verb form. To be evenly tempered while enduring trying circumstances. You're, you're trusting God. You're confident in his promises. And nothing's going to deter you from that. Nothing's going to have you bailing on the Lord <clears throat> and losing confidence in his promises. So having patiently waited, our author is telling us here that Abraham obtained the promise. Well, he obtained the promise ultimately, um, posthumously, obviously, of a great nation called Israel and all the way that Israel through Christ has blessed the world. Um, he obtained the promise of his son, Ish, uh, Isaac and uh, that line that would be the redemptive line down to Jesus that was all obtained uh, in the promise now I want you to remember last week in, in verse 12 we are admonished we were admonished by our author to inherit the promise that others had inherited through their patient waiting uh, here it's a different word um, obtain uh, it's not to inherit, as in last week in verse 12, but this week here in verse 15, it's to obtain the promise. Now, it's an interesting balance here because when you inherit the promise, that's kind of passive, isn't it? I mean, when you inherit something, it's really just because you are the next in line or you were born to the person or to the grandfather who's leaving his stuff. So... You're just going to receive it. You don't really have to do anything. It's somewhat passive. It's a blessing in that way. It's gracious in that it didn't depend on you. 
But to obtain is a Greek word to, that means to achieve a goal, to attain something, to acquire it more actively. <coughs> and so here you have a kind of the two sides of the same coin of inheriting and obtaining. We, ab- we inherit and we obtain the promises of God that he makes to us and swears an oath on. Um, so there is that passive active tension in in our obedience and and how we do attain and inherit God's blessings to us and all by grace obviously so again our faith our trust our patience is an active uh, reality we our faith is active our trust is active and our patient waiting and endurance is also an activity now <clears throat> let's turn Genesis 15. Genesis 15. I want you to hear these words, uh, verses 1 through 7 of this, this great chapter. Now, whereas the Abrahamic covenant, the, the, the sacramental sign of the Abrahamic covenant that God gives Abraham for his, his progeny, uh, his descendants is circumcision. It will be that mark, that sign of belonging to God. But in Genesis 15, you have the elements here of promise and and oath that are beautiful. Now, we also see the oath aspect in circumcision that whereas God makes a promise, he gives something visceral um, and physical to confirm that promise, which in, in Abraham's covenant with God, God's covenant with Abraham, that's marking all the males uh, down through the ages uh, with circumcision. But here's a text that that shows uh, the promise, the promises given, and then the oath made. And so we're just going to look at the promises here in Genesis 15, 1 through 7. We'll come back to the same chapter in the next point. <clears throat> but we read here, Genesis 15, 1 through 7. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteousness. And God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out, of the Ur, out, of, out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And God said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought to him all these and cut them in half and laid them each half over the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcass, Abram drove them away. Now, <clears throat> remember the promises here. The, the oath is beginning. Uh, the proving of the promises or the, the, the securing the promises, it begins here at the end of that passage. But the promises, uh, what does God promise Abram? Um, a land, a descendancy, um, 
an innumerable multitude of descendants. Well, Abraham has no descendant. Uh, he's old, his wife is barren, and there's a problem here. So he's asking God, okay, you promised me something, but how, how will I know? And <clears throat> I just want to end this point of God's promise to us, to, to Abraham here specifically, is that God's promise, his verbal promise to us, is enough. It really is. He doesn't have to do anything else. If God makes you a promise, and he does in Scripture, he doesn't have to give you anything else. He's going to be faithful to his, to his character. He's not going to lie. He doesn't lie. He keeps his promises perfectly. So in a very real way, it's only our weakness in faith that, that we want more than just his verbal promise. And again, here Abraham voices that. You you know, how will this come to be? How will I know that I will have an heir? But that's the promise. Here now is the oath. This is where we go next. This is where God goes next in, in securing us and our faith and our hope in his promises. Our author continues here, verses 16, 17, and 18. People swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that that, that by two unchangeable things, in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Okay, this is the oath. An oath follows the verbal promise. The oath is distinct from the promise, and yet it confirms it. It goes along with it. It's very similar. People swear by something greater than themselves. You know, when we go to court, we swear an oath uh, on the Bible before God. God is our witness. We're swearing that what we're going to say is true, or God's going to get us, basically. Um, in today's world, you have you can say, "Well, judge, I, I promise I won't swear, I won't tell a lie." Well, he wants more than that. He wants an oath. He wants to see something. He wants something visual for the record. So they put a Bible in front of you. You put your hand on it, your right hand on it. You raise your left, and you you make the promise with a visible token, a visible sign. Your hands on the Bible that represents God Almighty in heaven, and you're, you're swearing an oath uh, based on your promise not to lie. And what our author is saying here is that once you've given your oath, well, then the dispute is, you know, all, their, all your disputes are final in the confirmation of your oath. There's nothing really else you can do other than swearing an oath to satisfy the other party that that you mean it. After you give your oath, um, the the issue's settled. Now you'll notice, after God in chapter 15 here goes through his oath, Abraham doesn't ask him anymore. Well, how will I know? Uh, you made me a promise. Give me something else so I'll know. After this, he's he's got everything he needs. Now, his faith will struggle, obviously. We see that later in the text. But 
you know, he doesn't bring the issue up again. God has, has sworn his oath, so you have everything you need. This is our author's point here. God gives us more than what we only really need. He gives us a great deal more. So sometimes you can, you can ask the question, are there guarantees in Scripture? Uh, does God guarantee us anything? And the answer is, oh, yeah. All throughout the Scriptures, God is making promises. He's, he's, he's uh, establishing covenants with his people, and he's bringing them to bear. He's fulfilling his, his covenant promises. He's being true to them. Um, so, again, we swear by someone or something greater than ourselves. And in doing that, uh, all our disputes, that, that oath is final for confirmation. So, when, when God desired to show more convincingly, say to Abraham, the heir of the promise of the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. Now, again, just on the face of it, the fact that God has to guarantee a, a verbal promise he makes is absurd. Why would we demand that? It's almost, uh, you think God would be enraged if you challenged his promise with a challenge. Well, we'll prove it. Give me something. Uh, your word is one thing, but give me, some, give me some guarantee. God stoops, and he is gracious to that uh, perhaps most obvious human characterological flaw, if you will. We need more than a divine promise. We need a divine token, if you will. So again, this is where we, we talk about the word of God preached the, and the word of God taken in. Uh, the, the, the word preached in the sacrament administered is that word, the promise of God followed by the sacrament or the oath of God. Um, all right, turn back with me to Genesis 15. We're going to look at the rest of the chapter. <coughs> it's a short chapter. It's pretty to the point. <coughs> but I'll, tell you, I'll pick up again at verse 12. <coughs> now, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Now, notice he's making another promise here, but he goes on. But I will bring judgment on the nations they serve, <clears throat> on the nation that they serve, and afterward <clears throat> they shall come out with great possessions. We see them plunder Egypt as they, as they leave 400 years later. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. <clears throat> you shall be buried in a, at a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces of the animals that Abram had split and separated. On that day, <clears throat> the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, <clears throat> To your offspring I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kabanites, the Hittites, Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Now, again, notice what's going on here. <coughs> um, 
Abram has received promises from the Lord. He's he's asked, okay, that's good, but how will I know for certain? It's almost like he's asking for something more. Give me something to confirm that your promises will come true. <coughs> so God does that. He has him split these animals. And notice who walks through them. God does. Now this is an ancient Erie uh, covenant cutting. There, there's some cutting, obviously, that happened here. These animals were split in half, except for the birds laid across. And the suzerain, or the greater of the two parties of the covenant, that would be God in this situation, God himself, and we're told that he appears in the form of a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. And in that theophany, God passes through the pieces of those animals as he restates the promise again about this land grant and descendancy to Abraham, to Abram. <clears throat> and in that ancient Near East covenant cutting, which was common in those days, uh, Abraham was familiar with what God was asking him to do. God was basically saying, okay, I've made my promise to you. If I do not keep my promise, uh, indicating the split animals, God was as much as saying, may this, what happened to these animals, happen to me if I do not keep my promise. Now, can you, can you begin to understand again that how far down to Abraham's weakness God is stooping? He's probably on his hands and knees, got his face on the ground as he's uh, addressing his servant here. I will keep my promise, Abraham, or may what happened to these animals happen to me. You know, is that good enough for you? <laughs> and it's beautiful here because our author is, is telling us that um, God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose. And he guarantees it with that oath. <clears throat> his plans, his intentions are guaranteed with the token that he, he basically puts in Abram's hand. See, look at this. With this, you can know. For sure, more and beyond the promise, beyond the verbal promise, I will bless you and multiply you. Look, this will confirm it. Now, we have other covenants in the Old Testament, just a few. <clears throat> the main ones, we can go back to the Garden of Eden, the, the covenant of works. It's a promise of God, you know, uh, obey, do not eat of this tree, the knowledge of, tree, of good and evil. On the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. There was a promise there, and yet there was an agreement, an understanding that Adam and Eve broke. They failed in the covenant promise of works. Um, and the sacramental sign of that covenant was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Next was Noah. <coughs> the sin of man was so great that God decided to destroy everybody, but um, retain uh, Noah and his family because he found favor in God's sight. Builds the ark, rains come all over human life, and land life for animals is destroyed except those on the ark. And uh, God's justice and righteousness was satisfied. Noah was spared with his family. They uh, 
continue on, human population. But God makes a promise there <clears throat> that he'll never destroy the earth again in that way, or mankind in that way, for that reason. And places the rainbow in the sky as that covenant sign. See, that with the promise always comes the token, the visible, visceral token, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, covenant of works, the Noahic covenant, the rainbow. With Abraham, <clears throat> it was officially circumcision. That would be that covenant, redemptive, representational sign that you belong to God. That would be transgenerational. Notice that the... Uh, <clears throat> that the sacramental signs are repetitive. They're over and over again. The tree and the knowledge of good and evil will be there. Um, well, its counterpart will be there in the, at the end, the tree of life that we will eat from. But it happens again. That same situation happens again with Noah, the rainbow. We, we see rainbows today that still remind us of that covenant with creation and with man that uh, God won't, won't destroy again that way. With Abraham, it's circumcision. Well, circumcision happened over and over again in the life of Israel, um, ritually and religiously, as that was a mark in their sign that they belonged to God. Uh, Moses in the Mosaic Covenant or the Sinaitic or the, the Covenant of Sinai, there were several there. You could say the Tablets of Stone, the Law, the Ten Commandments, the Tabernacle itself, the, the Ark of the Covenant, these were all visual symbols of that covenantal agreement or promises that God was making to his people at Sinai. I will be your God and your, to your children after you. You will be my people. One great uh, sacramental <clears throat> um, symbol that followed after Moses was the Passover meal. They, they left Egypt after the Passover and that was a perpetual meal from that point on that even Jesus and the disciples celebrated in the upper room on the night of Jesus' uh, arrest and the night before he was crucified. So again, sacramental signs of covenants are perpetual. They repeat themselves. Uh, Jesus replaced uh, the Passover that night with the Lord's Supper that we repeatedly acknowledge and observe from now on till the end. It is a covenant God makes with us, and this is that covenantal sign that represents the oath. Um, the next uh, covenant in the Old Testament was to David. Um, he promised David that his, his line would be unbroken down to the Christ, basically, down to the, the king of kings. Uh, my son will sit on your throne one day. Uh, that would be Jesus. And the sacramental sign of the Davidic covenant was the throne. And it happened over and over again. David had sons, and their sons had sons, and Solomon on down to Jesus, ultimately. So this is nothing new. God's oath, uh, he makes a promise, but then he backs it up with something visceral, something visible, something um, to, that you can see and look at and understand. Now we have Christ as the first fruits of the resurrection. He's the proof to us that he rose again from the dead into an, uh, and came back in a, a glorified body and promises that we'll have that same resurrection reality one day and we'll be, uh, we'll be united with our resurrection bodies and live forever in those glorified bodies. <clears throat> Holy Spirit is said by Paul to be a token or down payment of our glorification one day as God's people.
So again, promises are made, tokens are, are given, uh, sacraments are laid forth that we enjoy after the promise. This is God's modus operandi. This is how he deals with us in his grace. So that, verse 18, by two unchangeable things, again, his promise followed by his oath, the word followed by the sacrament, we who have fled for refuge to him might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. <coughs> again, we looked at that last week in uh, Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, that we have confidence to enter the holy place uh, through the veil, which is the body and blood of Christ, to appear before our Abba Father in heaven. And that's our confidence, because Christ has gone before. He's already there. And that's where we're getting to in the next point, but that we'll have strong encouragement to, to seize the hope set before us, to hold on to it, to grab it, and not let go. Um talked about the footprints in the sand last week, I believe. It's been kind of cheesy, but I've always liked it. Uh, you know, the footprints in the sand um, where the it's kind of a prayer. The, the, the prayer <clears throat> is praying to the Lord, Lord, uh, you've always been with me. There's always been these two footprints in the sand, uh, two sets of footprints all my life until I went through this very dark time, and then there were only one pair of footprints. Why did you abandon me? And the Lord said, I did not abandon you, my child. That's that's when I was carrying you. Those footprints were, are mine, basically. It just really gets me every time. There's another one similar to it um, that you've probably seen before or heard. <clears throat> it's it's kind of a, a pithy little three, four-line thing. Basically, it's, it's the, the redeemed person saying, I love you. Or Jesus says to, to us, he says, I love you. Then we respond, kind of like Abram did, uh, how do I know that you love me? And then it says, and he, Jesus, stretched out his arms and he died. So there's always, again, the promise, I love you. How do I know? Well, here's how you know. Jesus went to the cross for us and bore our sin and guilt and took it away and replaced it with his righteousness. So you have, again, the beautiful hand-in-hand -hand, uh, presentation in worship, in covenant renewal every Lord's Day, between the promises of God and his oath. The word preached, the word sung, read, heard, preached, prayed, and the oath, the celebration of the table where God says, See, Everything I've promised you will come true because I've come, I've lived, I've bled, and I've died for you. It will happen. <clears throat> Beautiful stuff, encouraging stuff, stuff that keeps us going. Finally, we see the promise, we see the oath, now the sacrifice, verses 19 and 20. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, this hope set before us at the end of verse 18. We have this hope as a certain and steadfast anchor of the soul. It's like an anchor. <clears throat> now, you know, an anchor goes down off the boat into the water, down to the seabed or lake bed or pond bed below, <clears throat> gets a hook into it, and it's heavy and it's hard and it's got a chain on it, and it makes you immovable, and uh, you're not bouncing around with the waves. You're, you're being held in place. This hope <clears throat> that we have because of Christ because of God's 
promises to us and the oath he's sworn for us, <clears throat> it's an anchor of the soul. This hope enters, our writer says, this trust, this confidence, enters into the inner place behind the curtain. There's a heavenly holy of holies. And this anchor, which is this hope, goes into and beyond that curtain. There's a very real sense, beloved, that we we spend a lot of our sanctification, we spend a lot of our spiritual life in Christ, in heaven, behind that curtain, <clears throat> in the heavenly holy of holies. In the earthly holy of holies, only one guy ever went in there, and only once a year, and that was the high priest of Israel. And he went in there to, rec uh, to intercede for the people before God. He went in there with a bowl of blood that was taken from the, the, uh, the blemishless lamb that was chosen from all the flocks of Israel. It was sacrificed, its blood was taken, its body burned, and that blood was taken into the Holy of Holies, into that inner sanctum where the Ark of the Covenant was that represented the very throne of God. So think of it as going into... <clears throat> the very presence of God behind two veils. The first veil uh, is entering the tabernacle. That's the holy place. Then the most holy place, the next veil, into the presence of God himself, seated on his throne. The mercy seat where the angels were on top of the Ark of the Covenant, that was the mercy seat. That was the lid. But it was where, in a sense, God, sit, God was seated and with the angels attending him. That's what it represents. And the high priest would go in there with a hyssop branch and that blood, and he would dip it in the blood and then sprinkle it over the mercy seat. And that would satisfy, that would propitiate for the sins of Israel before God's throne. The blood of the Lamb um, um, making the payment, um, propitiating for the sin of God's people. Beautiful ritual, full of, of, of truth, heavenly truth, <clears throat> and, and redemption, and sacrifice, and, and grace. And our writers here, this hope, <clears throat> he's telling us, is sure and steadfast like an anchor of the soul, a hope that as an anchor goes up and into the inner place behind the curtain. It enters there where Jesus, verse 20, has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Notice the tense there, has gone before us. He's already there as a man in the heavenly holy of holies beyond the veil which is his flesh and his blood. Uh, again, Hebrews 10. On our behalf and in so doing has become a high priest forever after the order of of the Melchizedek. So Christ has gone already before us, has arrived and has entered. And there, as one of us, intercedes for us as the sacrifice of the ages. That all the other sacrifice only anticipated, all the other sacrifices only pointed to. There he is, with the nail prints, the prints in his his feet, the scars on his forehead, on his side. There he is, our sacrifice, <clears throat> our forerunner, our surety, our confidence. 
So you have this heavenly holy of holies right now, the throne of God where the Lamb's blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat on the throne. Jesus, our righteous sacrifice. Jesus, the stuff of God's oath to us is represented at the table that we partake of every week as well. So it adds a a new and refreshing dimension to our worship, to our sacrament, uh, the connection between uh, the word preached and the word taken in through the sacrament. It's a beautiful thing uh, to worship that way and that fully on the Lord's Day. Amen. Be blessed, you all. Um, Take care today and this week. Um, Again, we're praying for you and and lifting you up uh, as we are for ourselves. Uh, Appreciate your your patience in listening and uh, your time of worship together as families and as part of the Emmanuel family, even at a distance. So let's pray as we close. Heavenly Father, thank you for your promise, your oath, and the ultimate sacrifice for our sin, our Lord Jesus Christ. Our glorious hope is in him. And there's stuff to it. It's visceral. It's, it's something we, get, we can get our arms around. We thank you for that. Continue to be gracious to us and merciful and continue to stoop to our weaknesses, we pray. In the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.